Hey there, thanks for joining me for episode 176 of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Michael Cirillo, and today I am extremely excited to share with you my conversation with Ryan Cote, who's the Director of Digital Services and a partner at Ballantyne. What's really intriguing about this conversation is it kind of covers a variety of, of topics. We talk about family business. Uh, I mean, he's part of a third gen okay, family-owned direct mail and digital marketing company. And then that also kind of segues into, well, hey, how do we how do we make traditional like direct mail and mail marketing and all that kind of stuff? How do we make that coexist in a largely digital landscape? And so he shares some really cool things there. And then it ends off on a really interesting note, something that you all know is dear and near to me, which is about self-improvement and the power of gratitude and just morning routines and and things of that nature. So you're going to hear Ryan and myself talk about a lot of these things in episode 176. Here we go. All right. So there's a couple of things I want to just pick your brain on, especially learning that you are a third gen family businessman, which I think is incredibly relevant to, um, you know, those listening, especially in the auto industry, retail auto industry, where a lot of the dealerships are now second gen or third gen ownerships. I just want to come right out of the gates and say, how have you done it? Because <laughs> obviously you've been around since, what is it, 1960s? Six. I mean, you personally probably haven't <laughs> yeah. been around since 96, but but you know that's that's pretty remarkable, and I think something that uh, dealerships are are accustomed to, right? They've been around since the '60s, '70s. Family ownership, family business. There's a lot of people that can't work with family. You're obviously doing it successfully. So, I guess first question out of the gates is, what does that look like? What's the dynamic look like there? You know, um, Michael, I'll first start by saying it's definitely a team effort for sure. So I'm not the the reason for it, obviously. And uh, so my great my great uncle started it. My great my my grandfather came on board. Then my uncle, my father, my brothers, my cousins are here now. So it's it's really a team effort. Um, it's two things. Uh, it's actually more than two things, but two things come to mind right away. It's it's we all have our distinct roles, and there's no egos, and so we all have our strengths and weaknesses, and we know what they are, and we try to play to them, play to our strengths, each of us, and so we each have our distinct roles, and there's no egos. So. If we disagree, we disagree, but it doesn't. It never escalates into anything that's major, um, right? <clears throat> and then, really, um, in terms of just keeping the business going, it's uh, you know we have a, a strong focus on client retention and sales, but also evolving. So, you know, 1966, obviously, the internet wasn't around then, so we were doing all direct mail. We used to do the Columbia House, ma- Columbia House uh, mailers, the AOL disk mailers. Back in the day, those like those were like, wow. two major print clients for us. And mm-hmm. we've evolved, so you have to evolve with the times. We still do a ton of direct mail, a ton of it, but now we do a lot of digital. So we have a whole team in-house of digital. So not, not that we do everything marketing. We have to billboards, radio, but we try to evolve with the times. So, um, you know, and, uh, and, and put a focus on culture as well so that, you know, my fear is that the team comes here dreading work. And I don't think they do, but that's like my fear. And so we try right. to put a big focus on keeping the team happy, which I think helps the clients too, because all just kind of just kind of drips down from from the team to the clients. And so that's what I would right. say. You know. it, so you're you're saying back in the day when I felt so cool getting that Columbia House mailer <laughs> in the mailbox that it had touched the influence. Your your family had the influence over that. That's that was you, that was you guys. We did all the stamp sheets uh that you would that you would uh rip off and <laughs> and uh lick and then put it on the mailer. So uh yep. That was, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, there's a there's a major account in the 80s, a major account and then we did all the disk mailers for uh AOL like I mentioned and they just they were sending out so many of those things. Yeah. Cuz it worked. Well, and a couple of things intrigue me here. First, you said, um, and, and we'll touch on the family stuff because that, that intrigues me. Um, you said, remove the ego. Well, pre-show we were talking about, and I'm not stereotyping here. I'm speaking from my own personal experience. You know, when you got that Italian, uh, French, Irish kind of like where, where, I mean, sometimes, and, and again, right, Italian, Portuguese background. So I'm just kind of speaking through my goggles here. What was the process of removing the ego? Is that just something that's always been in your family's nature? 
I mean, it's so easy for family to kind of get under each other's heels or want to be right in certain things or, or any of that. What did the process of removing the ego look like? I think, yeah, I, you know, the, the, the saying I, I'm probably butchering it here, but the saying is, you know, leadership comes from the top or that my, my, my butchering mm-hmm. now, I can't remember exactly, but the point is I, I think it started from the beginning. So I think it's something that my great uncle and gra- uh, grandfather instilled in the company instilled, I guess, in the family from the beginning. And then my father kept it going and my uncle kept it going. And then, you know, we've kept it going. Not that we haven't had issues. Don't get me wrong. We've had, you know, some, some issues that we've had to get through and, and heal. But, um, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's worked very fine. And like, you know, no, we don't, no one here has to always be right. And everyone's opinion counts. That's what we try sure. to do. And uh, like I said, nothing's perfect, but obviously you know, we've been around for 53 years. So, you know, we've managed to iron out any wrinkles that we've had and that's how we've done it. I think. Yeah. And I think part of, you know, just as I'm listening to you talk, one of the things that stands out to me is the fact that, you, you know, you, you talk about keeping your team happy yes. or, or in other words, fostering a culture where morale is always high and where people are happy. And, and I think, you know, I, I can relate, especially, I mean, my father still works in, in my company and, and there have been days when it's like, dude, you need to shut up. And <laughs> <laughs> you're like, seriously? Uh, but then, but then after all of it, it's like one of us will roll into the other's office and it's like, eh, what time mom want us over for dinner tonight? <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. we, we just found a way to kind of keep things separate where, where work is work and it's about the business and we're all kind of come objectively minded to say what's going to be best for our customer, what's going to be best for, um, our business to grow it, to have greater positive influence, to have that culture. And so, I'm with you. Like it makes sense to me. And I think that's something that is so crucial for dealerships where maybe they're fighting over the tit for tat and somebody wants to be right to just kind of let that stuff go and bring things back to, I mean, what it sounds like you guys have done very successfully is focus on doing the best work you possibly can for your clients um, to, to make sure that they are happy to make sure that they are seeing the results and successes. And, and so then you, you, um, become unified on that purpose. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, you know, and taking care of the team that that benefits the that benefits the clients as well because you know happy team members usually translates into you know they they treat the clients better, um, they stick around longer, they're just happier at work, um, and uh, yeah, and doing right for the clients. You know, that's that's always a good thing, and that's I think that's that's been a big emph- emphasis for us for all these years. Um, funny, mm-hmm. funny story about the mom. Uh, so my dad retired. Your mom, uh, my dad retired two years ago. But my mom still like makes brownies for the office. Um, uh, <laughs> last week, a, a package from J Crew arrived for me, my and my two brothers. So she she ordered shorts for the three of us, and they all arrived at the same time. <laughs> so it's like this is why I don't feel 40, 40 years old because I get I still get gifts from my mom at the office. You know, <laughs> sure. Now here's a question: though. You do you call her mom at the office, or do you call her by her first name? Um. So she was never she never worked for the company. I would call her mom, and I with um my dad. I would call him dad. Yep. Felt we were doing it, but I did do it. And I'm thinking about it. Uh, but my uncle, I call him Jake. <laughs> I call him by his name. Okay. So it's uh, I don't, you know, yeah, I'm not sure why, but. I went into like straight, I just went straight into like, we're not related at work mode. And I don't know if that makes me a good person or, <laughs> or not, but it's like, you're Joe. And it just comes out, even when I'm at my parents' house, the minute we start talking business, which my mom does not enjoy when we do that at the house, like family time. But I mean, it's just the thing that my dad and I love and love talking about, but I'll even just straight up start calling him Joe. Like my brain just flips immediately when it's business related, but that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, you said something else that I want to kind of unpackage here. I think it's so crucial, especially this day and age. You said that you guys evolved with the times. And so I'm fascinated because usually, you know, people that I've talked to when it when they talk about evolution, especially coming from the quote unquote traditional side of advertising and marketing, usually evolution to them means and we just went full digital. You've managed to keep feet, you know, a foot on the traditional side doing m- mailers and things of that nature, but also 
um, evolving to you has meant going to the digital side. What did that look like? How did, how is that possible? And how is it, I guess the follow up to that also is how is it possible for you to kind of have an affinity for both in this world where everything is so absolute? It's like, no, I'm, I'm just digital. <laughs> I can only be digital. You, you guys are doing it successfully, still managing both. What does that look like? Yeah, that's a big question. Let me, let me try and package that. Um, we, we, um, yeah, so we were doing we, we do direct mail. We still do that's what we started with. And then you know my background, I started as marketing for the company, but I had a I've always done things on the side like digital, like websites and e-commerce sites, and taught myself SEO. And so I've always had just interest in that market. And then I would, and I, when I was marketing director for Valentine, I would do it for Valentine. I would optimize the website, I would blog, and all that stuff. And oh, what year was it? I can't. Two thousand thirteen. I two thousand thirteen. I think it was. I came to my uncle and my dad. I said, I think we could do digital for our clients. Um, and here's, and, and this is sort of a lesson, you know, instead of just going crazy, you know, uh, I said, why don't we just start off with just a little bit? Let's just do SEO because that's what I know best. Uh, and mm -hmm. just, just kind of, you know, kind of dip our toes into it, uh, so to speak. And so that's what we did. We started doing SEO for the, for the clients, for, for, you know, whoever would say yes to us. And for, for the longest time, it was just me. Well, for like a year, it was just me pretending not to be just me. Also doing marketing. Um, and then I found subcontractors. Right. So we started doing a little bit of social media. I look back on it now, though, and like, oh, man, what a joke. But you don't know what you don't know. Um, and I think what really, um, where it really started to scale up here is when my brother Scott came on board. And my, my brother Matt was, on the, was in the company before then, but uh, he was doing direct mail. So he was solely direct mail. He went to school for it and all that. So when Scott came on board, he was doing operations and stuff, but he also had interest in digital. So he worked with me and, you know, the saying two heads is better than one. You know, we, we had some mm -hmm. brainstorm with and we started getting bigger clients. And I still remember the first client that we got that enabled us to, to hire someone. You know, we were hugging and stuff like that. It was, it was a pretty big moment for us. And so then once that happened, then, you know, now we have like 12 people, still a small company, but to go from one to 12, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So that's kind of how, how it's evolved. It's, um, and there was one more part of your question I'm going to answer, but. That's kind of how it evolved. It just uh, slowly but surely, you know. And I don't know if this is right or wrong. That's, that's, we just had slow growth, but growth every year. And, um, you know, we just slowly added on more services, more services, more services into the, where, where we are today, where we do all the different, you know, social and content and SEO and all that. Search. Right. Well, and I love this because, you know, it really puts things into perspective, especially today with youtube where we get an inside look into people's businesses and daily lives and all these sorts of things of course they're only sharing the things that are worth sharing that's the part that we tend to forget yeah. about they're only sharing what's worth sharing they're not showing you the eight hours of footage that was just blase <laughs> uh but then we see that as the viewer and we go see like i didn't grow my business to 60 million in five years <laughs> and so i'm a failure yeah. Uh, and, and yours is what I love about it is yours is a path of, or yours was the journey of, well, we, we took steps and steps compounded, get you to your macro. That's exactly what we did. And, um, I just, yeah, it just slowly built up and built up. And, uh, the other question is that you, the other question you had was how do we do both? You know, mm -hmm. well, we're, you know, we're essentially two different companies. You know, we have different specialists for each service, direct mail, digital, um, you know, there's really not, there, there is some overlap. So, you know, we do have dealership clients and they do, they do, they use this for both digital and direct mail. Some clients use both, mm -hmm. some clients don't, you know, and, and some clients, honestly, like our typical client for digital is more of a small business owner, sort of medium sized too. On the direct mail side, it's huge companies where they just wouldn't consider us for digital because we're just too small. We're not, we're not this big agency in the city. So, but we do have some clients that use us for both. And so we've, we've kind of just have let it, um, we've kind of just have let it, roll with the punches to an extent of, you know, what are we good at? And like for the digital, we were trying to go after bigger clients and then naturally we we're just better at serving the smaller ones. So we said, you know what, what's this goal in all that? And, you know, direct mail will serve the bigger clients. The digital will serve the smaller clients. Maybe in 10 years we'll serve bigger clients, but we're kind of like in the way this is going now we're growing. So let's just go with it. So we were trying not to force anything, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And, and you can dispel the myth then because, um, you know, I firmly believe that, it, you know, and I had mentioned, we, we tend to think in terms of absolutes. Like if it is not X, there's no way it works. If it's not Y, it's just a complete failure. And it has to be 
the perfect condition. Uh, and so we think, oh man, the internet, like it's killing everything because internet brought about AI and AI is going to kill everything. And then AI, you know, whatever comes beyond AI, super AI, and that's going to kill everything. And what we've kind of seen is that human beings kind of adopt the new thing while keeping up with other mediums that they enjoyed, whether it's print. Like I think of, you know, the, the progression of, um, radio was supposed to kill the theater and TV was supposed to kill the radio and movies were supposed to kill TV and the internet was supposed to kill all of those things. Yet we're still going to the theater. We're still reading the newspaper. We're still listening to the radio. Uh, and shocking by the way, I, I used to being a digital guy I used to be like, nah, don't waste your time with radio. And my wife has got me hooked on listening to morning radio <laughs> And I tell you what, dude, like there is nobody that can activate an audience like those morning radio talk show yeah. hosts. Yeah. And so I'm into that. And so we make room for all of these things, which is clearly, you know, what you're seeing. But but once and for all, can we dispel this myth? Because like I was saying, pre-call dealers will go to a, and this is not knocking Google or Facebook, but they'll go to one of their events and it's digital, 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 our platform, our platform, our platform. And then the, the dealers or the vendors or whoever go back to their stores and they're like, kill all traditional. Yeah. It's not working. I saw all the stats. What's your take on it? Yeah. So, I mean, so first of the bat, direct mail, some industries are just more prone to using direct mail than others. Like travel, we do a lot of travel and nonprofit. And they're, they do enormous amounts of direct mail because it's just demographics. It's just you know, nonprofits need to collect money. So there needs to be direct mail for them to. Not that you can't give online, but it's just, it tends to work better for them, direct mail. Um, it, it, just tying it back to dealerships, to your audience, um, you know, we, we do both of them because like if we're, if we're renting a list of, um, you know, people in market for a certain car, you know, and we're going to get their postal and we're going to get their email, we're going to send them emails, of course, but why would we not send them a postcard, you know, or a mail piece? If we have their post, mm -hmm. if we have their address, we want to be, we want to completely saturate them and, and hit them from all angles because here's the thing not everyone's checking their email you know not everyone we're going to upload the list to facebook not everyone's on facebook everyone has a mailbox though you know and some will skim through the mail faster than others but that way if you're doing if you're doing mail if you're doing facebook advertising you're doing um you're doing email you're kind of covering all the major points as to where where you can expect to get them and so if they're not paying attention to one medium you're going to get them somewhere else and also there's those you know everyone's so distracted now and we're getting hit so many marketing messages you kind of have to be everywhere um, because it's just you need to break through their attention, you know, and get to them. And so we always recommend, um, especially for dealers, to use all use direct mail and email, upload the list to Facebook, run ads on Facebook and Instagram, just get them all over, saturate them. Mm -hmm. That's that's what we found to work the best. And it's an interesting point you said. I mean, everybody still has uh, a mailbox, um, but we found it so easy in some instances to just not check our email, whether can, whether we're doing it on purpose or not, but people are still going to check yeah. their mail because there's still that one bill or that one check or something check and we have to yeah. check it. And so it's a process. And so, you know, like you said, to your point, if they're just flipping through, that's still another opportunity that they're, they're flipping through. Then that means we know they're looking at what they're flipping through. And you know what? You know, digital is great because it's you, you, there's so many, so many different options to reach people, and it's very mar it's very measurable, and um, there's just so much we could do with it. But we're, we're actually seeing. I mean, the last two years we've had great years for direct mail, and um, we're it's I, I think it's it's obviously not dead, and um, we're seeing growth because I think marketers are starting to realize that, you know, it's it's not as competitive as a mail as an inbox where you've got like a billion messages waiting to be read. It's maybe your you know if I think about my mailbox, typical day. Maybe ten pieces of mail, fifteen pieces of mail. So, and I know it's more expensive, and tracking sign is great, but it's just there's pros and cons for every marketing channel. And with direct mail, you're you're not competing with a billion messages, right? Are there ways to get creative with it? Like if we had to, because one thing that's still not happening very well is is everything is so isolated. When you know a good friend of mine, Glenn Pash, um, he talks about the need to unify your marketing. So. From your perspective, is there a way that that can happen from somebody that's doing it all kind of in-house for your clients? Is there a better way you would suggest to integrate direct or traditional with digital? 
Well, if I think about how we're doing it now, it's um, so we get the list of in market in, in market audience for whatever car, um, and you know we're coming up with the offer with what we're going to push, used car, new car, whatever it is, service parts, um, and the creative is all the same. So we're taking that we're taking that list, and we have postal and we have email, okay, and we're sending out we're sending out a, a, a postcard on a regular basis, oversized. Um, and then we're taking that same creative, that same offer, and we're creating emails and sending emails to the same people. And then we're taking the same creative, the same offer, and we're creating ads on Facebook and Instagram and running ads to them. So essentially what's happening um, is that the same person is getting the email, the postcard, and the Facebook and Instagram ad. Uh, and not all, because obviously like you know, the match rate for Facebook and Instagram, it's not going to be 100%. Not right. much checking email, all that. But, but just keep it simple. The same person is getting the postcard, they're getting the email, they're getting the Facebook ad and or Instagram ad. Um, and so they're seeing us um, you know, across all these channels, the same message, the same look and feel, the same offer. And so that really does build up that brand awareness. Um, and that we've, we've seen that to help a lot. Um, that's probably the best way that I can think of to bridge. Um, the, only thing I think I, the only thing I can think of to add to that, it's not something we're doing now for any of our dealership clients, but it just came to mind, so I'll just mention it. Um, yeah, you can use a Perl redirect, the personalized URL redirect, where you put a a, a website, you know, the ad, the website address on your mail piece, and the Perl redirect it redirects them to the dealership's um, website, their normal website. Mm-hmm. But because it goes to that redirect, you capture who that person is. So the only reason that would be the only reason that would be helpful is if if the sales team actually wants to make calls, like, hey, I saw you got your direct mail piece, and I saw you went to our website. Um, any interest in coming into the showroom? You know, it's sort of a stretch. We haven't tested it yet, but I think it's at least worth mentioning. Maybe perk some ideas up um, in your audience. Yeah, and I think it, it's a, that's interesting to me too because so rarely do we, um, you, you know, like if I were to flip through the newspaper right now, even just on a basic level, because I think that's where a lot of dealers are still playing. They're not getting creative. You know, some of them, some are, some aren't uh, getting as creative as utilizing the full potential of a list of names. Uh, and, and zip codes or post codes or things of that nature um, is that their traditional advertising just leads them to the homepage of the web. So they'll be like, yeah, go check, check out www.abcmotors.com. And it's like, why you just missed an opportunity. Like, why didn't you bring them to a specific landing page? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we're setting out a mail piece for new, for new cars or used cars, it's going to go to the, to the specific part of the website. That's going to push that. Uh, that's really important. You don't want to make, you don't want to make people work harder than they have to. You want to really make it as easy as possible because, again, they're com- you're competing with so many other marketing messages. It's it's uh it's really essential that you kind of just cut right to the chase and and uh, not make them have to do more work than they have to do. Sure, than necessary. Yeah, that, and, and I love that. How about get out of the customer's way? <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we were um, talking about Facebook. One thing I want to mention is uh Facebook Marketplace is actually working. Uh, is working fairly well for used cars. Now, I don't, I don't execute the campaign, so if you ask me any more questions beyond that, I might not be able to answer them, just to be honest. But uh, we're seeing a lot of leads percolate from uh, Facebook Marketplace. Essentially, we have a feed for the used cars, and uh, it gets hooked into Facebook Marketplace, and yeah, we're seeing leads come in every day from that. So it's just trying to take advantage of all the tools that we have. You know, and something interesting about that, too, is... We often talk about in the car business how we know, we know who the decision maker is. It's usually the the wife, or traditionally speaking, uh, generally speaking, it's been it's been the wife. She's usually the decision maker, and we chuckle about it, and we all talk about it, and we all accept it. Uh, uh, and I mean, I even do it. Like it's my wife's birthday today, and I was like, "Hey, we should go." Out. We should go out for dinner to celebrate your birthday as a family. Like it was a question. Like I was, <laughs> you know, like I, don't yeah. don't just do it. Like don't just do it. Maybe she's not in the mood. I don't know. And so we know that. Well, here's where I'm going with it. As you, because you just sparked this in me with Facebook Marketplace. Well, I was with a group of teenage kids at, at our church youth group one night, and I was talking about some of the cool things they could do on Facebook. And I'm not kidding you, dude. They they were like. Oh, like Facebook's like where all of our moms hang out. <laughs> we're we're like on Instagram. Like it was like one of those things. Like I can't believe you brought up Facebook to us. Well, to your point about seeing the success there, I'm pretty sure at this point the 
only reason my wife goes on Facebook is to browse marketplace. Huh. That's interesting. Like I mean, she's yeah. not, what, what else are we do? We're, we're, we're there scrolling through people talking about how awesome they are or the grainy yeah. low lit yeah. photos they took of their <laughs> dessert on their cell phone. Uh, yeah. We're going to marketplace and I've even found my own behavior going to marketplace more and more. Like I need something for my office. I'm like, eh, why, why would I go to buy this chair new when I can probably find a really cool chair for less on marketplace. So I think our brains like the decision makers brain is being conditioned to go there. So that that's really cool. So that's, that's cool information about how we can integrate print and, and digital marketing essentially by just unifying it and, and just going as deep as you can go, maximizing your, your reach. But I want to, I want to just play off of something you said here as well, because I think a lot of people when it comes to marketing don't realize that there is something called market segmentation and, and audiences. Like they, I think they know there's audiences, but I don't think they really have capitalized on, on coming up with the right messaging or identifying who they are. You say, yes, business owners can really find their target audience online. How, how do they do it? I mean, there's several ways. I mean, you've got, um, if you're going to buy data, you know, you obviously can, um, you can segment that, that data a million ways. You know, we have, um, you know, we have a, a trusted data provider that we use, but they're all over the place. I mean, you've got um, tons of data providers that can give you a list of just about anything, um, especially when it comes to dealerships. So that's one way you can find them. Their way is um, if we're going, I guess you could say old school, maybe, I don't know, SEO, paid search, you know, um, you know, identifying what keywords are using. So is it just used cars in, you know, city state or is it, you know, Ford one F Ford F one fifty, you know, whatever, whatever. So you can find people that way. And and SEO and PPC is intriguing because it's, you know, they they have there's there's intent there. They know that they're you know you know they're looking for something. And if they're typing in the specific make and model, then they're just prime buyer. They know exactly what they're looking for. You just need to get in front of them and uh, get them to come in. Um and then we've got you know Facebook and and Instagram and um, you know, all the different targeting that they targeting that they provide. Um, I know Facebook; it's not as much anymore. But um, you know, one way we've been combat combating that a little bit is is developing um, custom audiences. So essentially, working with our data provider to develop a list of people in market, whatever this whatever the segment is, they give us that list and then we upload it to Facebook. So while Facebook might not be giving us that data anymore, we're getting it from our data provider and then uploading to Facebook, still getting what we want. So there's so many ways to slice it, but that's that's what comes to mind, Michael. And you know it. So so then from there, kind of bring me through. And I'm not asking you to like give away the farm here, but what's the process from there? Because you said you know you guys kind of go you go wide. You 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 splash the market from a variety of different angles are there certain types of messages that work better than others oh that's a great question um because really well and i'll preface it by just saying I, I mean traditionally all we see is a picture of a vehicle and a price big sale red tag days uh ford employee pro like we're, we're as consumers we're all used to this stuff so from your vantage point like how yeah. would you recommend hitting the market yeah, so you know, we always try to saturate the saturate the local market and using this the process I explained before about making sure everything's everything's consistent. And the angle that we take, honestly, and, and I'm not saying we're right or wrong. We've seen good results with it, so we we keep doing it. But right. you know, you see some dealership marketing where it's like really in your face, they're like screaming at you, and and you know, that might work for people, and so they they'll keep on doing it. But for us, what we found is a more you know we're pretty aggressive where we're saturating the market, we're hitting them from all different angles. But the creative and the message that messaging that we take is a little bit more, um, I don't want to say classy because that makes it sound like I'm saying other people's work isn't classy, but sure, um, right. it's it's more like if you look at like Toyota's, um, their own corporate marketing, it has a certain look and feel. We try to go mm -hmm. towards that angle a little bit, um, a little bit more modern, not as much in your face. Um, and that's, that's what we found to work well. So in their face, but not feeling intrusive. Exactly. Not in their face, but not screaming in their face. I think that's the best way to say it. <laughs> so, so, no, so every time you see a graphic designer writing in all caps, because that's what the client requested, you just kind of slap the back of their hand and say, no, not all caps. Not <laughs> yeah. all caps. We're not screaming at them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about SEO, because this comes up at least 
once a year where people are like, but SEO, it's so expensive and we don't know if it's working. And then they go, wow, SEO's dead. Or they read an article and then they get super excited because they're like, see, I don't have to invest in SEO. What's your what's your take on that? Yeah, so I go way back with it. I, I go way back in SEO. Um, so I've seen a lot from the Penguin update to the Panda update. The everything that's come up since then, it's quite exhausting to be honest. And so SEO is still very important. So you want that organic presence, you have to have it. You have to have it. Um, but it's changing. You can't just rely on SEO. I mean, if you look at the organic search results now, uh, it's funny because Google at one point were penalizing people because they, if you had your content pushed too far down below the fold or if you had too many ads above the fold. But now if you look at their search results, it's all ads above the fold and organic is like halfway down the screen. Now I know it's their it's their playground we're just playing in it, so I, I get it. But you, what I'm saying is you can't you can't rely on just SEO. You need it. You need to do it. You can't rely on it solely as your only marketing channel. Um, right. But it's still really important. I mean, you need to have that organic visibility. Do you think we're missing opportunities by n- rarely bringing Bing into the conversation about SEO? Funny, I'm probably the wrong person to ask that because I don't. We don't really do much with Bing, so okay. uh, we've had Fair. a few clients have asked us to do it, and they weren't dealerships; they were insurance companies. But um, it just didn't work as well as Google, and just didn't have enough search volume. I, I would say, okay, here, this is what I would say about Bing. I would say Bing is so you've you've done you're doing everything you can do. You're on Google, paid, organic, email, direct mail. You know, you're on all the social media, uh, creating content, all this stuff. And you're looking for additional ways to reach people, then I, yeah, I probably try Bing. Um, if you've got the marketing budget and you're not you're you're not maximizing, you're looking for new things to do, then yeah, I, I would try Bing. I don't think it's completely worthless. I'm not I'm not even sure exactly why we don't do it. We just have good results with Google and it, and you know, with, we, you know, we're maximizing the budgets we're given, use and doing the other channels we're using. It's working, so we just haven't used it. But I think it's worth considering. I I don't know if I I asked the question out of like my like that part of my brain that thinks I'm a conspiracy theorist. (laughs) And no, I don't think the earth is flat or anything like that. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I think about what you said where, um, it's Google's playground. We're just playing in it. And that kind of year by year, that becomes increasingly apparent that, that it's almost like Google one day is just going to be like, and guess what? If you don't have a website built by Google's platform, or if you're not using Google My Business or something like that, then you just, you know what? Like, you're just not going to exist. You need these things, essentially forcing people to use their tools. But then I'm wondering, especially with um, this most recent algorithm update, where was it like dailymail.co.uk is basically out of business now because they just disappeared completely. Um, and a few others, like we're seeing cases about this broad core algorithm update where they just completely, you know, vanished and now they're closing up shop. I'm wondering if more and more people, uh, well, and, and like Facebook censorship, like there's a lot yeah. of Facebook pages where it's like, oh man, we're not even showing up anymore and our content's not showing up and it's pay to play. Like, do you think maybe, cause, cause you, you know, Microsoft is making some interesting moves in that. Hmm. In that, I mean, I grew up my entire life dreaming of the day that I could afford Apple products. And now with an office filled with Apple products, I found myself just buying a, a, a PC again, something that was powerful enough to do the work that I need to do mm-hmm. without any, you know, this or that or red tape uh, and that sort of thing. And I went, holy smokes, like Microsoft and their product and and their, you know, even their products have come such a long way. I, I almost feel like Bing, maybe again, conspiracy theory here on the, on the dealer playbook. I almost feel like it's going to get so ridiculous that people are just going to be like, you know what? Bing still wants us to own our own properties and, you know, show our websites. And, and apparently every show on the CW, when they do a web search, it's on Bing. So maybe, <laughs> maybe we got to start using Bing a little bit more. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm crazy. You, I mean, Ryan, you can tell me, bro, you're crazy. <laughs> I don't know. It's like tough to, maybe it's a little crazy, but I, I kind of see where you're going with it. Google's changing so much and they're, and they're kind of forcing the hands of maybe people to use paid search because of how much they're changing organic. Um, and I, you think about daily mail. I mean, honestly, I, I pay attention to algorithm updates now, but I don't get obsessed about it because 
you know, now their updates, they're sort of in real time, though they make these major updates every once in a while and they say that there's right. something you could do to to fix it. It's not like you're being penalized for links or whatever the case is, duplicate content. They just like other sites better and they're ranking them higher. And and so we try to gleam some information from that, but we just try to focus on what doing what we can the best way, like you know, making sure that Google My Business is completely filled out, running it through the data aggregators, building good links, writing good content, making sure the technical stuff is all taken care of. And just for peace of mind, I just we try to do the best we can and and uh, and not get too distracted because I feel like a lot of the, the algorithm updates and then what's released after that, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of white noise and I, it can be very distracting. You don't know who to believe and then you end up messing your site up further. And so um, don't get me wrong, we look at the research and we see if we can pull anything out of it. But I remember back in the day, like 2012, it was like anarchy with all the updates. <laughs> I would get so obsessed and just so distracted, so I try not to do that anymore. Fair. And, and I think that's sage advice. And it's also, you, you know, somebody from your position, Kay, and this is something I'm kind of bringing back around to the beginning. Your third generation family business, you've invested so much time into learning, not just the business, but learning from what it sounds like culture, morale, people. Yep. Why? I, I mean, what have you learned not only being third gen, but, but, maybe the why you believe leadership business owners should be investing in improving themselves, whether it's education about what's out there or human behavior or whatever it might be. What's, what do you believe is the the ticket there? Yeah, this is a topic that I'm like really hot on right now, just because, you know, I was a, I was a department of one for so long and now to have 12 people, though it's still a small company, it just seems enormous to me. And I've, for the longest time, it was really shocking for me to come to the office and there was like people there like goes, hello, hello there. You know, it just was very surprising for me, for my department. There was other people sure. previously, but like in my department. Um, and I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm like, I think the word is ambivert or whatever, like sort of intro, sort of ex, ex, extrovert. And so but I'm more introvert. And so and I'm not a natural leader. I'm not, I, I'm not huge on confrontation though. I'm not like completely shy away from sort of like in the middle on all of it. And so for me, it's been a real, real big learning curve of how to manage a team. And I'm not by myself. I got my brothers here and, you know, I've got, got two good, uh, good, uh, good manager. Her name is Larissa. So like, not, not alone on this, but you know, it's been a, it's been a big, um, process for me just to figure out how to make sure the team is happy, that they're growing, that we're providing enough training, that I'm showing up the way I need to show up. And that's a big thing. Like, you know, if you show up with low energy, the rest of the team is going to have low energy. Um, and so there's like so many things to think about. And so for me, this has been a process of just trying to learn and learn. And, and something for me that's helped a lot is besides just reading books on it and, and just doing it, like being in it, you know, and making mistakes and trying to learn from it. I mean, I think back when I started managing people, um, in the very beginning, we had a few, I mean, I had some disastrous conversations that I just completely butchered, you know, <laughs> completely butchered. Um, right. so I just try to learn as you go. Um, but but what I found to be very helpful is just having, you know, just working on myself, you know, trying to make myself the best I can be. And it's, it's, it's a work in progress and always will be, but like morning routines, getting up when I say I'm going to get up and doing meditation, exercising, you know, practicing gratitude, get a little woo here, but I really believe in it. So I'm going to go with it. Um, just having a morning routine that starts my day off so that I, when I come in here, I'm the best I can be. And then just go from there. What do you find that morning routine really does for you and did you notice the results of it right away honestly i do it's it's amazing so most of my most of my job here now is like sales um and you know i'm involved with the team too and just you know strategy and stuff kind of have my hands a little bit but number one is probably just getting the clients and keeping clients happy and it's amazing i, I don't know if it's like i don't know if i'm just like imagining it but the longer i do my morning routines it seems like the luckier i get like i just have things happening, like opportunities coming up out of left field. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's just me like imagining that or if it's just um, or if it's just when I start my day off right, I'm the best I could be and I'm just creating opportunities as a result of that. You know, like meditation, it clears my mind. It makes uh, it makes me mentally stronger. It's kind of like exercise for my mind. I'm doing exercise, practicing gratitude. That alone has been huge, practicing gratitude because your, your, your brain, like the way, you, the way it's wired, like you start if you think about uh, what you're grateful for every day, um, you automatically just start to your natural thinking. The way you naturally think is to look for the positive in things. And it might sound crazy, but if you try it, it's really. Um, I don't know if you believe in this stuff, but it's really amazing. Like I just, uh, I just, I'm all in on it. 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely do. I mean, you know, those that have listened to the show for a while now, they know that years ago as I was battling with mental illness and depression and things of that nature, mm-hmm. a lot of what you're talking about were the things that helped me um, just get healthy. And, and to your point about seeing the positive in things, like I'm a firm believer that, you know, and it's always funny because people that wake up and they go, oh, it's going to be one of those days. It always like they yes. called it forward and it always ends up being one of those days. Yes, exactly. And so just what they're bringing into their environment or what they're bringing into their into their mind, like it's what you focus on, you find. And, and the challenging part, I, I think about like, what do, you, what do you feed yourself? You know, if you're watching the nightly news, every if you're watching the night news every day, you're going to be a mm-hmm. mess after a month because it's just like. You know, this person got murdered and this, you know, this business was robbed. It's like pointless news. But if you feed yourself with positive information, it's like, you know, it just, it trains your brain to think a different way. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just, I, I, you know. and also stop watching the nightly news, oh, like start realizing that it's entertainment. It's a business. Yes, it's about ratings. Exactly. They want- you know, it's like they're selling a movie every night. Exactly. The thing if, if any of your audience is gonna is gonna try to morning gonna try a morning routine if it's you know, my morning routine is only my morning routine is only thirty minutes, um and so but the thing is it's what's tough is that you don't see results right away so you have to stick with it for at least a month or two and then it's just you know I, that's when I started like okay I'm, not, I'm never gonna stop this yeah let's talk about the power of gratitude for a minute because that's the one thing that's one i mean you, you talk to anybody that knows me and they're like oh he's the he's the grateful guy because <laughs> people are just so ungrateful all the time yeah. and i know at least for me it it was difficult to your point it was difficult in the beginning because you're like oh what am i grateful for and everything just felt so superficial yes was it that way for you where you're like oh yeah great i'm grateful for my bed yeah, I mean, and once you get past, like, I'm grateful for my kids and my wife and the things that are so obvious. Then you're like, I'm thinking, like, what did I say this morning? I think I said I'm grateful for oxygen. Um, okay. Grateful for, it's like things that, yeah, like your bed. I'm grateful for stuff, feeling sunshine on my face. Like things that you, things that you take for granted, but if they were taken away from you, like if you sort of all of a sudden you couldn't see or you couldn't feel those things, you know, would be a big deal for you. And so. Yeah, it's, it's, it feels a little bit, it feels a little bit weird in the beginning for sure. But after a while, like you, when you go down, when you sit down to think about what you're grateful for, your brain is so conditioned. It's like, all right, boom, boom, boom. I'm grateful for this, grateful for this. And it could be small things. I'm grateful for my socks because my feet are warm, you know, but it's, right. it's things that you should be grateful for, even though they're, they're tiny. Yes, but there's things that you should be grateful for. Cause here's the thing. Not everyone's as fortunate as us. Not everyone has socks, you know, and so it's, um, I don't know. Been big. It's what's that? What's that saying? And I'm going to probably butcher it, but it's basically if, if everyone put their problems into a bucket and looked inside that bucket, they would be so quick to take their problems back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I love what you're saying, because I think gratitude really is, you know, you were saying, I don't know if it's just me or if I'm just seeing it this way. I don't think so. I think t- to your point about leadership, like coming in with a grateful mind, it, it's weird because I'm I even. And to the wrong audience, this would sound completely cheesy or cliche or whatever, but I'm like grateful. I feel grateful for like challenges that I face. Like maybe it's a client that's just not happy about something. Like I even feel grateful about those things because I've learned now from my experience operating a a business that I'm going to learn something from that. And, and a year from now, or maybe six months from now, or even just at the end of the whole process. Um, dealing with that client and improving the relationship or whatever it might be. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just using that as an example, but like whatever the challenge might be, there will have been so many lessons that made me a stronger individual. And so I'm almost like, I, I'm almost at the point where I'm feeling grateful for things that haven't even like manifested themselves yet. You know what? I, I feel like we're becoming best friends right now because I, I uh, I've actually <laughs> said the same exact thing. I was having a problem for a little while where, because, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be in the position I am here when a client has an issue, when a client wants to speak to me, it's usually not to say, Hey, doing a great job. You know, it's not usually, it's usually cause they have a problem. They want, they want it resolved. And for a while it, it, it was bothering me. Um, and then I reframed it to exactly what you just said, which is where challenges, that's where the growth is. You, you get through these things and it just, it's another kind of like notching your belt into in terms of like a problem that you solved or, situation that you um that you made better 
and it does make you stronger. I, I think back, you know, my wife and I, my wife and I own some investment properties. I think back to a situation we had with mold, the tenant that, oh, they just like, I was going to bed with like pains in my stomach. I feel like my stomach yeah. eating itself from the inside out. But we got through it. I'm like, all right, well, got through that. Like, and yeah, there's a lot of worse things that can happen, but that was pretty bad. And I got through it. So I 100% believe with you and uh, agree with you on the, on the challenges, you know. Yeah, I just feel like if 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 we just took time to pause and reflect for a minute, we'd realize that that challenge we faced a decade ago that we thought was just going to destroy us yep. is uh, 10 years ago, is a decade ago, and we're sitting here thinking about it, which means we made it through. Like, we, we never really think about the micros like, wait a second, but I'm still here and I'm still breathing and my brain still works. And I'm in a position where I have time to even think like. Think about that for a minute. You're in a position where you have the time to sit and feel sorry for yourself. Like <laughs> you should be feeling grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, especially thinking like, you, you know, outside of our society on other in other parts of the world, there's a four year old who's lifting heavy rocks on their shoulders yeah. and taking them from one pile and putting them in the other, and they're going to do that until they're like sixty years old, yeah. and and probably question with every lift why am i doing this like what is that what are we doing here i haven't seen the like any outcome of me lifting these rocks and putting them in a different pile but i i've done it for the last 48 years you know i've i've even become such a lunatic with the with these these challenges you mentioned where i'm now taking cold showers to kind of create situations that make me uncomfortable and i'm at the point now where the showers don't even bother me anymore so now i've come accustomed to the cold showers we were just we were just down at the at the shore and the water was like 55 or degrees or some ridiculous number. And I was making mm -hmm. myself go in there just because the cold showers weren't that cold anymore. And that felt a lot colder. So it's just, I don't know, you can go too far with this stuff. But um, no, I, you know what, though? I, I, I get it because like, uh, so I, years ago when I was in my early, late teens, early 20s, I lived in the Philippines. I did missionary work there and all that kind of stuff. And all they had was cold water. So I, you know, I get the cold shower thing and being super uncomfortable. And also like getting used to it where it's not that big of a deal. But even like, even though I haven't continued with that, I'm also at the point where, you know, just recently, I would say within the last month or so, I've been timing my showers to make sure that they're less than five minutes, hmm. you know? And so, why is that? And, and it's funny just because in my mind, I believe that, you know, yeah, it's so nice, right? You just keep turning the water warmer and warmer and well, you're like, oh yeah, this is great. And then all of a sudden, 15 minutes have gone by. You're still standing there like a noob. <laughs> like, what am I doing in here? I accomplished nothing. I washed myself 12 minutes ago. <laughs> like the, the purpose of yeah. this is over. So if I can get that, like that, that's even just a little thing because a nice hot shower is a comfort zone thing. And I'm like, yo, if I'm, if I can just make the decision you know, it's like my good friend, Glenn Lundy. He talks about never hit the snooze button. Yes. And I think it's just, it's just one of those things where it's like, no, this may seem small to some, but I will live life in control and on my terms. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like it, as weird as that sounds like, so a five minute shower or five minutes and less, it's like, that's something I really enjoy and there's times for it. But when I'm ready to roll in the morning and it's like taking away from maybe time with my children before they go to school or um, just sharing some time with them to make breakfast or like whatever it is. Um, and that infringes on it. It's like, no, I'm going to, I, I am in control here and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to just prove to myself that I'm in control. Yeah. There's, there, I think there's definitely something to be said for that being in control and also making promises to yourself that you're going to keep. Um, if you keep on breaking your promises to yourself, it's, really hard to show up as the you know the best person possible for yourself and for you know those around you well and i think this is a good business lesson likely why from what i'm gathering why you guys have been around for 50 some odd years is because um you know when leadership has this type of mindset where they are in control i think of the i'm I, dude i think of how many businesses i visit on a yearly basis just like hundreds uh, who go, Michael, what can we do? With it? And it's, it really comes down to like, dude, make your bed, not, not, you know, make your bed physically. Like, yes, you should do that. But like, you haven't made your bed here at work. Yeah. You haven't set the tone. You're not doing those foundational things, you know, 
um, you're missing out on these foundational things. And, and so you're not in control. And that's why every day seems like you're getting a million and one things thrown. You'd be shocked if we made a list of all the things getting thrown at you, that the list is shorter than 10 items. Mm. Yeah. And you feel like you're getting a million and one things thrown at you all the time. You dude, you're not in control. Yeah. I agree with that. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's something too, that I try to install on the team as well. So, you know, I send out a, a weekly newsletter now to the team and, uh, and I'll throw some of these gems in there. I, they probably think I'm a nut, but I'll throw some of these gems in there, like wins <laughs> and self-improvement tips and cold showers and, um, you know, keeping your promises to yourself and just anything I can think of that's going to make them better podcasts to listen to. And, and I, I don't know if it feels like I, I feel like it's kind of, it's cool for me when some of them will come up, come up to me and say, Hey, I listen to that podcast. Uh, hey, I'm trying to cold shower. I get a kick out of it. Cause sometimes I don't, you know, I don't know if like there's like a oh, roll in their eyes when I'm sending them and send this information. But when they come up to me and they say, Hey, I tried this, tried that. I get a kick out of it because it feels good that I, that they're trying new things and, and hopefully they're seeing some benefits from it, you know? So that's kind of where I'm at now trying to kind of rally the team to, to work on themselves too. And, make themselves happier and whatnot. I think it's awesome, man. I want to thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Uh, thanks for joining me here on the DPB. How can those listening get in touch with you? Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. And thanks everyone for listening. So we, um, we set up a special landing page for your audience. It's uh, at Ballantine.com forward slash dealer playbook, dealer playbook. Um, and on the, that landing page, there's a, there's an option to connect with me on LinkedIn. Love for everyone to do that. There's also an option for a free um, analysis via video of, uh, of your website. Check out your, all your marketing, social media, your SEO presence, paid search, all that stuff. Check it out through video. Give you, give you uh, my thoughts. And uh, it's 100% free from that landing page. Gratitude, man. That's all I got to say. Gratitude. Your morning routine. Like this, this is the whole point of the dealer playbook. To think bigger, reach higher, live happier. I believe that all of the work we do is just kind of a big void of time if we are not improving ourselves. If we are not doing just a little bit better tomorrow than we did today. If we're not reaching higher and thinking bigger and having a positive impact on ourselves, our family, our spirituality, on those with whom we associate. And so I really loved this conversation and hope you got a lot of value out of it. I hope you're listening to the episodes through the the, the headphones of what can I pull out that's going to help me dominate tomorrow. So that was my incredibly enjoyable conversation with Ryan Cote. Don't forget to go check out their landing page and get access to their free help, their free resources. You can do that by visiting valentine.com forward slash dealer playbook. Definitely go check it out. And until next time, guys, keep the playbook open and dominate.